Father in heaven, we thank, thank you for Ephesians that we're continuing to look at. We pray that, that we'd put on the new. In Jesus' name, amen. So things break like Lego castles. They break, don't they, when they get crushed. Um, our car, which is not here, our car isn't as new as it once was. Um, and it's getting to an age when things just sort of go wrong all the time. Maybe not all the time, but they go wrong. So things like the heat shield and the exhaust that fell down and needed welding. Um, the seal on our windscreen just peeled off. Um, and so we rang up the, the people and they said there was like a 10% chance they would break the windscreen if they took it out and redid it. So, but they gave us a good tip to actually seal it ourselves. So that's what we did. Um, and it cost us $23 instead of 600. Mm. Yes, good tips. Um, Sarah, Sarah and I got married 10 years ago and all the wedding presents that we got, uh -huh. um, well it's over 10 years now, the towels have gone, they've worn out. And the bread maker we got around that time that broke this week. Oh. Yeah. And all the cutlery, like the crockery is chipped. So things sort of wear out, don't they? Seems like we're in a constant, um, in our lives, I think there's a constant need to fix things um, or replace things. But this is kind of what, what it's like as a Christian as well. We're saved by God, but there are always areas in our lives that are kind of broken. Things that need to be fixed up. And this is especially the case as we look here with our battle against indwelling sin. It can seem like we're making progress in our Christian lives, but then another area falls down. It can find that your heart's kind of a mess at times. But on the one, on the one hand, we know we're justified by grace, God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. And yet on the other hand, we, then we get angry with the kids. It's sort of a, what's going on there? We know that we are in Christ. We have this new identity. And then we do something dumb. And then we lie to divert attention away from ourselves or to just to get out of it. You know, our hearts are in need of repair. Things have seemed to have broken in us. And the question is that we can often ask or sometimes ask is that, is there any hope for progress as a Christian? Is there any hope that we can change? Is there really freedom from sin in our lives? Is there really any hope for lasting change? Are we able to grow as Christians? Or are we in endlessly enslaved to the same mess of our hearts? Well, the good news of the passage is that because of Christ, because of him, him alone, there is hope for change, for a new life in him. There is hope in the battle against sin that it's left in us. There is grace to take off the old self and to put on the new self. So we've got a couple of points here today. We see that Christ say, what's, what Christ saves us from, and we also see what Christ saves us for. And in these words, there's hope for change, even for us. So even though the struggle is real, it's difficult, it can be painful, Christ is a great saviour. And so Paul, the writer of this letter of Ephesians, lifts the lid on our hearts here. He shows us the depths of what humanity is like, and it's not pretty. So from verse 17, we see what Jesus has saved us from. Let me read. 
Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you shall no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thought. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. That's what life outside of Jesus looks like. But why does Paul show us this? Why does he show us what we've been saved from? I think it's because he's showing us where we've come from and why we need to give thanks to God. If we don't know what we've been saved from, we don't know why we need to be saved. And we don't know why we need to desperately believe and trust in the Lord Jesus. So Paul shows us here what we've been saved from. So verse 17, he warns his readers not to live as the Gentiles live. You know, the old way of life they used to live. And he warns them that it's futile, verse 17. Outside of Christ, the mind is futile, futility of thought. It's like drinking water from the water that won't quench your thirst. It's like fool's gold. It's hollow. It doesn't satisfy. Futility is keeping on grasping after something you just can't get. It's trying to live my life without God, the God who made me and loves me. Life without God leads to futility in the mind. So verse 18, outside of Christ, we are darkened in understanding. We just can't see. We just can't understand. You know, people around us might think we're enli- they're enlightened or woke is the new word for it. Knowing what is right and wrong according to the standards of the day. But without Christ to shine his light his truth, it's just darkness. So verse 18, without Christ, we are excluded from the life of God. Like cut flowers, cut off from the nutrition, the energy source, the life source. They just wither. They're excluded from life himself. Verse 18, without Christ, we're ignorant And all this stems from a hard heart, verse 18 again. It flows out of a heart that's hard. I don't know if you've ever spoken to someone who just doesn't want to listen. But this is what people outside of Christ are like. Without Christ, there is a stubbornness towards God. And it's not that our friends and neighbours don't know that God is there or real. God hasn't hidden himself in his world. He's... Creation declares his glory. The mountains, the river around us declares the glory of God. And he sent Jesus, right? He's been risen from the dead. His word is given to us. God isn't hidden by a lack of evidence. No, it's that people have hardened their hearts towards him. And so they cannot see him and his goodness. So verse verse 19, the heart grows callous. Without Christ, we stop feeling. Our hearts calcify. We stop feeling. Like in a vacuum, without oxygen flowing into our lungs, our hearts wither and die. And so the heart hardens towards God. And when that happens, our hearts grow alive to other things, to everything and anything else. Verse 19, they became callous. And gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. 
So we live in a world of instant fixes, instant gratification. You know, we can order the thing online. We just click, we get what we want when we want. But without Christ, we become desensitized to God. And so we pursue sensuality. Without Christ, this, this characterizes what we like. We follow, taste, do, think, feel, experience, whatever our eyes, our hearts want. We're pleasure seekers. That's who we are as human beings. We seek pleasure. And this is, this is good when it's found its true source, when we delight in God. We're designed by God to find our satisfaction in Him. But without Christ... With hard hearts, we seek after things which do not satisfy. It's a life that is less than what God has made us to experience. It's a life outside of Christ. So Paul has shown us here sort of three things. We have darkened minds. Our minds are dark. Our hearts are distorted. Mind the heart and we pursue darkness. So our actions as well. It's a very graphic description of what life outside of Jesus is like. And Paul urges us, pleads with us not to go that way. It's what Christ has saved us from. He says, don't go back. Don't go back. Because for each of us, the temptation to do do so is actually still here in us. When we do sin, we kind of justify ourselves in it. One author describes how he liked to justify sin. He says it like this. I can handle this. Handle this. It will be okay. I only do it this once. I didn't really have much of a choice. It's really not such a big deal. Other people do it all the time. It's not really clearly forbidden by the Bible. What else could I do? I just chose the lesser of two evils. God is good. He'll forgive me. It's not like I do it all the time. Doesn't God want me to be happy? That's what sin does. It us that it's all okay. But we also sin because sin promises us things. It also promises us things. Didn't the serpent in the garden say to Adam that he'd be like God if he took that fruit? In those moments, we are tempted to walk away from what is good and right and true because we believe that God isn't enough. We believe that God doesn't want what is best for me. Sin lies. Sin is a liar. This is how another author puts it. Sin promises fun and excitement, but delivers pain and tragedy. Sin promises freedom, but it delivers slavery and addiction. Sin promises life and fulfillment, but it delivers emptiness, frustration, and death. Sin promises gain, but it delivers loss. Sin promises that we can get away with it, but the fact is we don't. And so, friends, this is what Christ has saved us from. Because when we know what we've been saved from, we know how utterly unworthy we are before God. Because think about what it costs the Lord Jesus. He died for people who had darkened minds, people who had calloused hearts, people who had pursued sensuality and turned away from him. But the gospel is that Christ died for sinners. 
You can sense that Paul writes these words with a heavy heart, with tears in his eyes. He's not writing from a position of, look how bad those people are. No, for in his own life, his own sins are before him. He was a persecutor of the church before he met Christ. He knows what it was like to live this way. The last thing we are to get from this passage is to point the finger at other people and tut-tut them. But Paul wants, warns us to no longer live this way. This is what we've been saved from. So this is, that's the first point. The second point is from verse 20. It's a real big contrast, isn't it? From that dark description to the new life, from the old self to the new. We've seen what we've been saved from, but now we see what we're saved for. Friends, Jesus doesn't just save us and then let us sit around drinking margaritas and cocktails, just waiting for him to come back. No, God calls us to live who we are in Christ. God has wonderfully saved us to be a new people, new creations in Jesus. And so we don't live that old way anymore. That's from verses 20 to 24, and let me read that. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. And so verse 20, so Paul have, Paul's readers have learned Christ, they know Christ, they know about his life and death for them, they've been taught in Jesus, the Bible has been taught to them, the gospel's preached to them, they've been taught. And this is what Paul's been writing about so far in Ephesians. The glorious good news that they've come to know God from the before the chosen in, in Him before the foundation of the world. Not because we're worthy, but because Christ is worthy. Not from what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done, who He is. We've been saved by grace, Paul wants us to know. To declare God's praises to the universe. That's the gospel that we've been taught and believe in. But then Paul goes on to unpack what the truth in Jesus means. So verse 22. The truth is that we're to put off, to shed the old man, as the Greek literally says, the old man, or the old self, as it says there. We were in Adam, in Adam, part of the humanity of the first parent. Adam represented us, humanity who are dead, in sin, that's what we're like. This is the old way, old man. Now in the new man, in Christ. Part of the new humanity, the church, saved by God. And we now have this new existence in Christ. So verse 22. Take off your, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. We, we take off the old man. You're like you take off a jacket. Like you take that jacket off. No longer we are to live as though we were without Christ. The old jacket is gone. The old has gone away. We don't live that way anymore. Now, the old self is something like, I think, a frying pan with burnt bits of rice on it. Maybe some blackened, um, charry bits at the bottom. It's just hard to scrub out. Um, but it does need to be scrubbed out if you want to use it again. It needs to be washed and cleaned. 
Deceitful desires, as verse 22 says, are to be scrubbed away. The residue of the old life is taken off as we await the resurrection. So this is what it means for us to be Christians. We need to live the new life. If our lives look the same as everyone else around us, and you know, in the workplace or family who don't know Jesus, if we're not, there is something wrong. It's not that we're better than any other people, but God has graciously made us new. He's made us new creations. So we ought to look and act and speak and do things that are different, like we belong to Jesus, and not indulge the old, the old man. And he goes on to talk about righteousness and holiness. That's the life where to live. So verse 23 says, we're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. This is about inner transformation, inner transformation that God makes in us. He gets to work in our hearts, our thoughts, our desires. So Christians are regenerated. We are saved one point of time from death to life. That's, that happens. One time act of God's grace. But then what happens? He transforms us. We're justified by faith. Justified by God, then he sanctifies us. We're saved, then he changes us. God doesn't leave us as we are. Salvation is a lifelong process. So instead of darkened understanding and futility, our minds are renewed in the new way of thinking. That continues. We're constantly renewed. The old self is being cast away and God gets to work changing us. So verse 24, we have donned, we've put on the new man, the new self, like we put on a coat. We've taken off that old one, the stinky one, and chucked it in the bin. And we wear the new clothes. God has united us to Christ in love. Now he changes us to live in true righteousness, obedience to him and devotion to him and holiness. So the gospel, what is the gospel? The gospel is about what Christ has done for us. The gospel is all about Jesus' life, his death, resurrection, what he's done, that act. It's dying in our place. It's about his sacrifice for us, which alone can pay for sin. And that's what we need to preach and believe as a church. But that's not the total of the Christian life. The gospel has implications for everything. It has implications for our sanctification. Christ not only saves us from sin once for all, but he saves us to a new way of living. So, Jesus calls us to change, to take off the old self. And the struggle is real. Like my car needs fixing all the time. And our, the air conditioning unit is the next on our list. But you know, our hearts need repair work as well. And by God's grace, the Spirit is at work. So, friends, I want to urge us never to be a church and a people which pretend like we have it all together. Let us never give off the impression that people around us, that to come to Grace Presbyterian, that you have to be good. That you need to have your sins sorted out. That you need to be a good person. No, this church must be for sinners. Because that's why Jesus came, to seek and save the lost. He came to the sick, not the healthy. That's what the church is for. That's why we're here. So never look out, look down on someone else. 
Let us each week point to the one who has the power to change lives. For in our hearts, the old man is still sort of there. It's like a blackened pot, which is hard to get rid of that, that stain. And we can seem to make progress in our lives, but another type of sin crops up. And you, you can commit the same sin over and over again for a thousand times. But even then, it doesn't mean Jesus has given up on you. We need to learn to hate the sin and to cultivate Christ-likeness. We need to remember that Jesus wants our well-being, he's, he's for our well-being, even more than we are for our well-being. Uh, we often act like we're locked in the prison of sin, but we're freed. Christ has freed us. If we're truly united to Christ, then its reign is no more. So he calls us to put the, put the gloves up and fight. To put the gloves up and fight sin, not to make us acceptable to God, but because the old ways they interfere with our experience of the new life we have in Christ. And God is in the repair work business. He's fixing up things. He's fixing up people. He's fixing us. He's renewing us as he works through his word by his spirit. So there's hope for change. That's what um, we've got to get out of this passage, really. There's hope for change. And it's a hope that doesn't come from us, but from Christ. So, friends, let's trust that the God who saves us has grace enough to change us. And so we're going to come to the Lord's Supper now. And we look at, back at, look at this meal, thinking what it costs the Lord Jesus to die for his people, people who are darkened in understanding, people like us. And when we see what Christ has saved us from, we see what Christ has saved us for. We realise that we cannot do this life, live for him without him. So we come to this meal trusting in him alone for our lives, for living the new man. And we come trusting that he will come again and finish the work that he started in us. Come Lord Jesus.